You're listening to Dwell on Truth with Brenton Powers and Dan Bodwin. Dwell on Truth is about the good news of Jesus Christ. Our mission is to make disciples, to worship Jesus, evangelize the world, love God, and love people. That's what Dwell stands for. The truth that we proclaim is the good news of Jesus Christ. So today, we're getting back into the Gospel of John. It's been a couple of weeks. It has. So I hope that you are blessed by today's program, all the listeners in the Monterey Bay area, San Jose. John chapter 9, Seeing the Light. But first of all, welcome, Dan, to the program. (laughs) Thank you, sir. But for those of you who didn't get a chance to listen in last week, um, Brenton was able to talk to several pastors on the ground in Ukraine, dealing with... uh, uh, the difficulties over there, and my goodness, I, I didn't participate in the show, but I got to listen, and I was so encouraged by that, and it gave me such a better feel for what it really looks like from people who are there that are not news media trying to mm-hmm. lean one way or another. They're just, hey, we're sharing the gospel here. So go back and listen to that if you haven't. Yes, thanks for that. And give if you want to support the Ukrainians, yes. because there is a lot of needs going on. As I've talked to many people that want to do something. So as I mentioned in the beginning of the program, you can give at patreon.com slash dwell on truth. If you want to give specifically to Ukraine, I'm giving 100% of what comes in new donations through patreon.com slash dwell on truth going to forward that to my friends that you heard from last week in ukraine why don't you tell us a little bit about your week yeah thanks it's it's been a good week it was really encouraging last weekend having the kids out you know having the kids from uh from cyprus oh yeah we got to have the youth from cyprus church mm-hmm. evangelizing with us in monterey absolutely that was really neat the kids did a really good job you could tell that they were nervous and figuring out how to hand a track to some and had to deal with the rejection of somebody saying no thank you and mm-hmm. and we even had one of the young men uh, open air preach for the second time I believe second or third time second time with us second he's, time with he's us. done this at his school already nice yeah good good kid I'm yeah. uh, hoping that he comes out more and and we can see him develop in that area mm-hmm. So speaking of God at work, mm-hmm. um, we're going to study a passage where God works in the life of a blind man, yes. and not only does he see, spoiler alert, uh, <laughs> but he, he sees physically and he sees spiritually Yes, that Jesus is the light of the world. Yeah, and we also get a chance to look at some who would claim that they see who are actually spiritually blind. That's an important thing to think about as well. Yes, you're either blind or you see yes. spiritually. Which is it? We'll get to that at the end of the study. But first, let's read about the actual sign before we talk about the significance of the sign in John 9, verse 1 through 7. How about, Dan, if you start, and I'll read every other verse. Sounds good. So John, chapter 9, verse 1, As he passed by, that is Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud. He said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. That's the recording of a very significant miracle. It is. A blind man healed. It's one thing to say that, you know, because there are a lot of healings that we even see um, through, you know, television preachers and things like that. You do? I haven't seen any (laughs) actual healings. There's a lot of claimed ones. You're right. It's it's claimed ones. And, and, And my point was that there are those that are psychosomatic or those that, you know, they can be easily faked. You know, and make it look like it's something grand. But when somebody's born with no eyesight, mm-hmm. you can't fake your way out of that one. No. And this one is so undeniable that they don't argue about whether it happened. They argue about who it was that did this and whether he was a sinner or not. Yeah. Because as we've read in this context, the religious leaders already decided that they're against Jesus. Yeah. And so I would just ask our listeners to approach this with an open mind. Mm-hmm. You know, we all have our biases, but at least try to recognize if you're being prejudiced yes. and judging Jesus before actually reading the evidence. 
evidence. Mm -hmm. So that's what we seek to do. It's kind of like the scientific method, this method of Bible study. I call it inductive Bible study, Mm -hmm. because we're not trying to read anything into the text or twist it to mean what we want it to mean. We want to draw out of the text, like you induce labor. You're drawing out the baby. Uh, (laughs) Yes. And we want to draw out the truths that are in the Word of God, not in like in between the lines, but just the the main things are the plain things. What is the clear message that's being communicated? Right. So let's start with the question of what was this man's situation from the beginning? Was he always blind? Did he become blind through an accident? Was he partially able to see? Now, born blind is what it says, is that he had been from the time he was a baby. And we even hear this later in the passage from his parents, Mm -hmm. who I guess were were there or were nearby. He was blind from the time he was born. He had no experience or no, um, no experience of seeing. And how would that affect somebody? Obviously, your job prospects would decrease. Yeah, they're a little bit low. I mean, in our society today, there are social programs and stuff like that that will provide resources for people like that. There are even jobs that people can get if they're blind or disabled in some other way. But back then, you basically were going to beg, Mm. and that was the option that you had. There really wasn't anything else for you. Yeah, and there's stigmas attached to it as well in that society, just Mm -hmm. like there's stigmas against beggars today. You might not think, well, that person's blind because it's his own fault, and therefore I don't need to have compassion on him. But But, but they asked the question, and Jesus' own disciples asked the question that many people today ask, and that is, here's an example of someone who's really suffered from birth. So like, what about babies who suffer some sort of disability or harm? How, if God is loving and God is just, are you saying that this person deserves to suffer since they were a baby? The way the disciples ask it, we can look in verse two. They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? A or B? Yes, it's either his parents or him. I mean, how could he suffer, or how could he rather uh, sin before he was even born? Like, in utero, he was sinning? Yeah, there may be some people that would make that argument, but Jesus debunked that pretty quick. Well, there's a third option, of course. Yes, that's right. And Jesus, but let's consider that, you know, you debunked the first one already. It, it, it wasn't because of his sin in the womb. Yeah. Some people think, well, maybe because God sees the future, he could, you know, pre, what do you call it? When you uh, pre preemptively, yeah. <laughs> he preemptively punished him for some sin that he would commit. Technically possible, but I don't see any support for that in scripture. Uh-huh. You know that no, I, I, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say no on that okay. one. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go no. On well, that one. you and people could say whatever they want. You could say your whatever your opinion is. Everyone has opinions like armpits. Yeah, uh, but they they all stink. But Jesus yeah. actually gives us a the objective perspective. God point of view. Yeah, yeah. And he act, and he says in the next verse, this was it was not that this man sinned. So we can rule out A. Mm-hmm. What about B? Would God punish a child for the sins of the parents? I don't think that and this is this is one of those difficult areas in scripture. Um, I don't believe that God would directly punish the son for the sins of the father, but certainly the sins of the parents could result in suffering for the child. And we see that. We see that in, I mean, it could have been that there was something that the parents did um, that caused that blindness. You know, maybe abuse of alcohol or drugs or something like that. Maybe a fight where the, the husband hit the wife in the stomach or something. I mean, I'm just guessing here, but um, but there are definitely there is definitely suffering that can come to the child through the sins of the parents. But you're not saying it's a punishment. You're saying that's a that's a natural consequence yes, of sin. Exactly. So so the consequence of the parents' sin is given to the child through natural processes. Right. Basically, yeah. It's like I if I committed a crime, say I God forbid, accidentally ran over a pedestrian, mm-hmm. like or even on purpose, or just <laughs> through negligence, right? You're worrying me here, uh, but <laughs> Well, I, I, I got to be careful about this. Yeah. Um, but that would be someone might suffer through no fault of their own. Yes. Because of my negligence, um, God doesn't always prevent that. We don't know how many times he prevents that, but no. we know that there, that 
sometimes God allows the innocent to suffer, and it is a good question, why was this man born blind if it wasn't his sin or his parents' sin? And Jesus categorically states that it wasn't his parents' mm-hmm. sin either in this case, that the man was born blind. And I would yeah. even say scripturally, God's re- God has rebuked the nation of Israel already for this thinking. In Ezekiel 18, it says, the word of the Lord came to me. What do you mean by repeating this Proverbs concerning the land of Israel? The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth mm. are set on edge. Yeah, yeah. As I live, declares the Lord, this proverb shall no more be used by you in Israel. Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the father as well as the soul of the son is mine. The soul who sins shall die. Amen. If a man who is righteous and does what is just and right, if he does not eat upon the mountains or lift up the eyes, his eyes to idols of the house of Israel, does not defile his neighbor's wife or approach a woman in her lifetime, blah, blah, blah. There's goes through a lot of lists. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Some of them I can't read in a family-friendly hour. <laughs> yes, indeed. I had to stop myself there. But he goes through a long list of, of evil that people can commit mm-hmm. and says, if he hasn't done any of those, then, but he walks in my statutes, verse 9, and keeps my rules by acting faithfully, he is righteous. He shall surely live, declares the Lord. If he fathers a son who is violent, a shredder of blood, and does all of these evil things, though he himself, the father, did none of these things, who even eats upon the mountains, defiles his neighbor's wife, oppresses the poor and needy, commits robbery, does not restore the pledge, lifts up his eyes to the idols, commits abomination. You get the idea. Yeah, yeah, it's a bunch of stuff. Then he says, then how shall he live? Shall he then live? He shall not live. He has done all these abominations. He shall surely die. His blood shall be upon himself. Yes, so the punishment for sin is not, the punishment for one person's sin is not carried on to the next generation. That person will be responsible for it. But the results of that sin, yep. you know, the the earthly results of that sin, could be carried on to the next generation. Are you talking about generational curses? No, not generational curses, but just once again, the physical results of of, of sin, natural consequences. Yeah. Now, now I think. I think you would agree with this. All sin or all suffering in the world, all suffering and pain is the result of sin as a general concept. The sin of Adam and Eve, and we live in a sin-cursed world. But a specific instance of suffering can be, but is not necessarily tied to a specific sin. Mm -hmm. God could use sin, could use pain and suffering. Um, for punishment for an unbeliever or for discipline in the case of his children, mm-hmm. but that's not necessarily the case. Does that make sense? It's not always the case. Yeah, it's that not always any the suffering case. a person goes through is always because of either their sin or some supposed inherited guilt yeah. from their forefathers. We don't believe in inherited guilt, but there there is this passage in Romans five I'd like to read. Yeah, please do. Talking about the fall and how that uh, sp- that death spread to all. It says in verse 12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men, because all sinned. Yes, And it's exactly. setting up, setting up the, the idea that we're all sinners. We've all done those wicked things that the Bible lists not to do. Yes. And we haven't done the right things that we should always, you know, we haven't always done the right things that we should do. Mm-hmm. So one answer to the question of why do bad things happen to good people is, well, there are no good people people according to <laughs> God's true. standard. Yeah. So uh, any suffering I experience in this life is is not as much as I deserve. Oh no, <laughs> if, it's nowhere close. If we deserve to go to hell for eternity for offending an eternal God and rejecting his love and his truth and his righteousness, then temporal suffering really isn't the thing that we should be most concerned about. It's that eternal suffering yeah. but that as believers we're rescued from through the one man, Jesus Christ. So though we're all sinners, sinful by nature, that's been inherited from Adam and Eve. Mm. Jesus gives us a new nature when we're born again, and through him, our inheritance is eternal glory. And so, as much as you want to argue, atheists, that God is evil if (laughs) if he is allowing anyone to suffer for any reason, 
Um, God is able to take what is meant for evil and turn it out for good. Yeah. The Bible says Romans eight twenty eight. Quote it correctly. Yeah, I do that. And we know that God, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good for those who are the called according to His purpose. Amen. So, since I brought up gener- generational curses, someone might be wondering, <laughs> well, what do you think about that? Is that biblical? Because some churches really, some Pentecostal churches in particular, yeah. really emphasize there's a curse being passed down. If you sin, I don't know. That is one of those areas that, you know, there are some areas that I wish scripture was more clear on. I haven't seen any indication that there are such things as genera- generational curses. But at the same time, I people will take these generational curses and tie them to some supernatural being or demon or something that is cho- choosing to oppress a family from one generation to another. And and seems superstitious. Well, yes, it does. And and I'm not sure that there is biblical grounds for it, but there is biblical grounds for sure for the supernatural and for spiritual evil spiritual beings that do oppress us and and can have incredible impact on us, you know, physically and spiritually. I'm doing some studying in that area and reading on it a little bit now. I, I, I don't think that we as Christians spend enough time thinking, well, it's interesting. I was having a conversation today that we tend to go to one extreme or another as human beings. We either ignore it completely or we spend all of our time focusing on it. And I don't want to do, I don't want to be in either of those camps. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. But it's, we should consider evil supernatural forces out there that can impact us. But I don't think that we should spend a bunch of time stressed about generational curses. And you know, if you're, if you're worried about a generational curse, make sure that you've repented and trusted in Christ alone and have the protection of God's Holy Spirit in you. Yeah. And then even if it's real, it's going to be much less of an issue for you. Yeah. I just want to read what it says in Galatians yeah. 3, verse 10 and 13. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. Yes. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to do them. But in verse 13, here's the good news. But Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing might come to us. So Christ reverses the curse. If there was a curse inherited... uh, um, if you're afraid of that, turn to Christ. Exactly. But I think we incur the curse ourselves by our own sins of rebellion. Oh, yeah. We've all got the curse of sin and death, even if there are no—and and I guess yeah. that is generational. <laughs> we got it from our ancestors, Adam and Eve. But, yeah, that's that's the curse we need to worry about, and God has given us a very clear solution um, to that one. And just to return to the text— I think Jesus, in this case, gives us the the final word on it wasn't his parents' sin Amen. that caused this man to be born blind. So just consider that possibility for your life if you're a listener here today and you, you're suffering today and you're wondering, why God? Why am I, why are you allowing me to suffer? Is it because of sin that I've done? It's it's not a bad question to ask. Have, is there sin I need to repent of? Um, is it because I'm living in a cursed world, a fallen world, and it's just the natural consequences? of being in a world that has fallen from God's original design. Yeah, can I put a little different spin on that? Sure. Um, It made me think, and I was listening to a little bit from uh, uh, some videos from a lady named Johnny Erickson Tata last night. And for those of you who are not familiar with her, she's a a lady who is in her 70s, I believe now. And when she was in her late teens, she um, dove off of a, a dock into a shallow lake and and snapped her neck and has been a almost complete quadriplegic for most of her life. So if there's anyone that understands suffering, she's definitely up there. She's lived a life with a, a tremendous amount of pain and difficulty. But rather than focusing on, although she struggled early on, as you would expect, a teenager losing the use of most of her body. She still struggles pain every day. Oh, yes. She still struggles with pain every day and bed sores and difficulties. And she has a, a husband who really gives sacrificially to allow her to do the ministry that she does. Um, so there's tremendous pain there, tremendous suffering. But she um, has made the decision to look at how God can be glorified in her suffering 
rather than focusing on poor me. You know, I remember listening to a, an interview, and I wish I could find the the clip, but it's uh, if you look on YouTube for Johnny Erickson Tada, J O N I, J O N I, and she was doing a Q and A session with a group called Ligonier Ministries. It's R C Sproul's stuff. Very good ministry to look for if you want good biblical information. And somebody asked her if you knew now what you had known then would you take that jump again you know knowing that you would lose the use of your her limbs and she said i would take that jump because she saw how god had used her disability not only to help her grow and mature and get closer to him but through that ministry she's been able to impact millions of people around the world particularly those in with physical disabilities yes. I, I was even talking to a friend today who has worked with her ministry and and just seen tremendous fruit from it. So don't worry about the suffering as much, but I want to encourage you guys to think, how can I, yes, number one, as you said, we should examine ourselves to see if this is the result of something wrong that we've done. If if it is a an area of punishment or discipline from God, that's step one. Mm-hmm. But step two is, how can I use this situation to learn and grow and to glorify God? Mm-hmm. You know, if we change our perspective that way, I think it's going to make a huge difference. So that gets us into the third possibility. Yes. And that God has a higher purpose mm-hmm. for this suffering. It's Absolutely. not because of your sin or someone else's sin. But I w- wanted to talk to people who are feeling the weight of, I think I might have done something to deserve this suffering. Yeah. And, and God's against me. You know, we know people that are blind, that are believers. Yeah. And, you know, one of them, uh, one guy is partially blind. I asked, like, when he went to evangelize with us, I don't know if you've met him. It's not Nelson I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. But I asked him if he feels ready to share share the faith. He's like, there's one question I, I don't know how to answer if someone asks me. <coughs> Excuse me. And that is, if you believe in God, why aren't you, why can't you see now? Because Jesus healed the blind in the Bible, and he didn't have an answer for that. Like, you know, obviously he's prayed to be healed from uh, being blind, but hasn't received that in this life. And so he doesn't know why. Um, And so sometimes we have to trust that it will be revealed in eternity. And Jesus heals this man, as we read, but um, I want to relieve the Christians who are thinking, who who are blind, literally, who uh, Mm -hmm. have maybe been condemned by so-called word of faith preachers for not having enough faith, because in their worldview, if you have enough faith and everything's possible, and not just possible, but you would be healed instantly when you ask, otherwise your faith is bad. And I think that is so arrogant, and it really misses Jesus's heart 180 degrees, because he's a gently, the Bible says, a gently burning wick he will not snuff out, and a bro- bruised reed he will not break. And so, if someone is in the tender, in the tenderness of their conscience, repentant of their sin, trusting in Christ for redemption and salvation, here and in eternity, then they can leave it up to God when to heal them. We know that all believers will ultimately be healed yeah. in the resurrection, and in, their, right. in the new eternal bodies. But in this life, we don't have a guarantee that we're not going to suffer. We have a guarantee that in this world we will have tribulation, but be of good cheer because Jesus overcomes the world. Amen. It just reminded me of a verse from 2 Corinthians 12, where the Apostle Paul is talking about exactly that. And this is a guy who who wrote, what, about a third of the New Testament? It's 13 out of 26 letters. Yeah, 13 out of 26 letters. And and he says um, this, he said, starting with verse 7, So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, that's the revelations God had given to and through him, a thorn was given me in the, in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, this is this is powerful, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest on me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And so we arrive at Jesus's reason for allowing this particular man, the blind man in 
John 9, to be blind, and that is because he intended to reveal something on this very day to set him free from it, which is a very special miracle that Jesus does for a very special purpose. And it actually says that the works of God might be displayed in him. Amen. So just as Joni Erickson Tata's story reveals that it was for the glory of God and for the good of so many people, and that passage Dan just read from, was it Second Corinthians 12? Yes, Second Corinthians 12 for that one. There is a higher purpose. Now, someone who doesn't believe in the glory of God, I can hear them in my head objecting, who cares about the glory of God? I want to be well. I, I don't want to suffer. I'd prefer not to suffer, thank you, than to give glory to God. What would we say to such a one? Well... Let me answer that with a story where somebody actually brought this situation to me. And I, I read a book from Johnny in you know when I was dealing with this friend who has dealt with, um, I won't name her, but she has dealt with incredible pain and suffering and difficulty. Um, I mean, real physical pain and uh, was, you know, trusting that God would heal her. And of course, there's nothing wrong to with praying for healing. We should do that. We're called to do that. The Bible says, you know, go before the elders and have them lay hands on you. And so praying for healing is not a bad thing. But but it's God can use it for incredible ways. So she asked me about if there was a situation where one of my daughters was dealing with tremendous pain and uh, would I want God to heal her? And my response was, well, yes, but if that pain and suffering caused her to come closer to God and a deeper relationship with him or even be the cause of her salvation, then I would rather her suffer to know know God better than to be healthy and happy on this earth and end up either farther away from God with with less uh, opportunity to glorify him or even to be apart from him for eternity. Suffering for a short time is 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 small. What? Yes. I can hear our our uh, critics saying, "What? You want your children to suffer?" Yeah, I can you, think you don't of a couple want them to be that. happy? Like what? Happiness well, isn't as important as holiness and you know what? you're going to be dead a lot longer than you're going to be alive. So it's more important that we look toward eternity rather than focusing on the things of this world. Would you rather have them suffer for a moment or for eternity? Correct. If that's the choice, then I would would choose eternity. Yeah, I would rather have them not suffer at all, obviously. I mean, that would be the first choice. But given the option, you know, I would rather have them, you know, happy and holy and with God in heaven forever. Yeah. Well, what I would say to the person who upholds happiness and health— as the highest priority, and really, some you know, it's, it is expressed in our culture in terms of if you don't have your health, you don't have anything. Or if you know, happy wife is a happy life. So that <laughs> I might agree with that one. <laughs> but that if, if that's used to justify yeah, yeah. rebelling against God, if that gets placed into the position of God, mm-hmm. you've made an idol, a false god, out of your happiness and out of health. You you turn the blessings of God into a god for yourself and yeah. reject the living. God. Yeah. How arrogant is that? It is. And I'm you're... an equal opportunity rebuker. I rebuke the, <laughs> the word of faith people who hurt the blind people uh, by kicking them when they're down, but I also need to rebuke the self-righteous atheist mm-hmm. who will judge God for not giving him the happiness and health that he feels like he deserves. Yeah, it's amazing how angry atheists can be at someone they don't they don't believe in. Yep. Yeah. And I also rebuke myself sometimes. I'm going to oh, yeah. rebuke myself and say, how can we spend 25 minutes only covering five verses when this chapter has 41 verses we got to get through. <laughs> They're good verses. What am verses. I doing? They're good verses. <laughs> so we're going to obviously not finish the chapter today, but no, no, no. but let's see how far we can get. Um, Absolutely. Be- again, we're, we're only five verses in. So let's go to verse six. Yes. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Yuck. Yeah. Okay, that's that's yucky. Okay, Jesus spits. Jesus is human. Surprise. Yeah, I, I think there's more to it than that, though. Yeah. And then, can I finish the verse? Oh, yeah, please. Yeah. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud. Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> that was probably irritating, a little disgusting, and uh, clear as mud for this blind man. How did that help? I, again, I'm being the devil's advocate, and he yeah. has enough advocates. He does have enough advocates already. But it is weird, and, and it's a good reminder that, that you know, well, number one, Jesus did stuff that none of us would have expected or would have done ourselves. <laughs> uh-huh. And I think the other part is that there there were cultural norms where that would not have been seen as 
quite as odd to them as it was to us. I don't think that spit coming in contact, someone else's spit coming in contact with your body in any culture is a welcomed thing. Well, apparently there was a belief during that times, at least among some of the population, that the the spit, the saliva of a of an important or godly person could actually have some kind of, mm. you know, positive effect or some kind of healing properties. Well, uh, I know my kids don't like it when I, they have a little <laughs> smudge on their cheek and I, I, I lick my, my thumb and then try and wipe it off. Yeah, that's that's your kids, though. That's a different ca- different category. But there, are you saying there's some medicinal quality to human saliva? I'm not saying there is. I'm saying that some folks did believe that at okay. the time, according to some of the commentaries. But yeah, it is weird. It is it is an odd thing. Okay. So then the next verse, he's after making mud and putting it in his eyes, he says, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Wow. Explain that one. How is that, how is that naturally possible? Naturally, it's not. Hmm. Yeah. there's it, It's not like... Because once again, there is a belief that there was this special thing with famous people spit. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds weird even saying it. Um, But there was no natural explanation for that. Um, There was something supernatural going on there. You know, God used this or Jesus used this. Well, Jesus is God. Um, and, and I think the, the bigger question is, what was the underlying meaning and purpose? Why did he choose to do it that way? There may be many reasons. It doesn't mm-hmm. doesn't list them all. But no. one, one possibility, David Gusick says in his commentary, and he's a great Bible commentator. He is. He said, in the same way that uh, not many people would appreciate having mud be made with spit and rubbed in their eyes, some feel that the gospel is offensive. It is true that it offends man's pride and human wisdom. But it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Yes. So it's it may be a humbling thing, but when you submit to the hand of Jesus doing an operation on your life, it may be uncomfortable, but it's for your good. Yes. And it may seem foolish, uh, but sometimes God chooses to use the foolish things of the world, like me. Uh, <laughs> to just astound the wise. Um, That being said, um, I think he also did, maybe another reason, this is just my opinion, Mm -hmm. maybe he did did this weird thing because he knows the propensity of people to uh, be looking for methods uh, to work miracles. And and so he he healed people in all kinds of different ways. He really did. Not, not, so that we would realize it's not from the method that, Mm -hmm. it's, it's not the materials that you use that is what works. Yes. It's, his word, and I, I want to emphasize his word, was go and wash in the pool called scent. So just oh, taking that first step of obedience to go and be washed, uh, it was this man's faith in Jesus's words that if Jesus is telling me to do this, I'm going to do this, and it may not make a lot of sense, like water baptism. My, my youngest son is 11, and he asked me if he could be baptized. Awesome. And so, yeah, praise the Lord for that. But as I was, you know, we were talking about what baptism means, it, I, I had to just acknowledge like it's kind of a, a, a weird ritual of burying someone in the water and then raising them up out of the water to signify yeah. identifying with Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection. That's right. But that's what it's all about. Um, and it may seem foolish. Like he, at first, you know, he didn't want to be baptized because he wasn't sure if he was ready and not sure if he wants to do this in front. Still not sure if he wants to do this in front of a ton of people. He said mm-hmm. because you know it's you're you're doing something out of the usual daily routine. Mm-hmm. But sometimes. Sometimes it's just a matter of this is how you show that you believe in God Amen. is you take that step of obedience. When he says go as missionaries, yes, we go. And so many people stop short of that first step of obedience of just going to do the simplest thing that Jesus asked them to do. Yeah. I'll get off my uh, soapbox <laughs> on that one. You're a, you're a street preacher. You're supposed to be up on your soapbox. Yeah, I taught a message on going uh, at yeah. Calvary Chapel, Yuba City. You uh, can you can listen to that online. But the word "go" is all throughout the Bible. It is. And it's in the Great Commission. Go preach the gospel to all creation, to all people. Go make disciples in all nations. Go stand and speak all the words of this life in the temple. You know, Abraham was told to go to a land that God would show him, but he didn't know where he was going. He just, Mm -hmm. God said, I'll lead you. And following Christ is just a matter of going where he leads us to go. So I encourage our audience, whether you're a Christian or not, take that first step and go to Jesus. Say, Jesus, what do you want me to do? And he says, repent and believe the gospel. 
gospel. Amen. And then come and follow me. You know, the other thing that I think that we can see in there that is a pattern that we see throughout the gospels is Jesus going after the Pharisees for their legalism. Because one of the big things about this was that this healing happened on the Sabbath. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah, exactly. And when he was spitting and making mud, that would have been considered as work. Come on. Yeah. I, I, I was listening to some commentaries that were talking about such tiny little things that they would... Um, that they would call um, work. You know, you couldn't you couldn't add oil to your oil lamp, or you couldn't blow out the flame because that was work. And I mean, just legalism to a ridiculous degree, with really the the goal of well, I can do enough if I pay attention to the details well enough, I can actually live in a way that's pleasing to God. And we can't, mm. we can't. And so Jesus was, you know, regularly going after the the Pharisees, you know, in subtle ways like this. Mm. <laughs> and and just to show that, you know, number one, I have authority. I am, you know, I am sent from God. I am. We're going to get yeah. to the significance, but yeah. we're just trying to wrap up this part about this sign first. Yes. Yeah. We can go into more. We'll go into more later. Yeah. The Sabbath does come up in verse 14 and verse 16, which we haven't read yet. So yes. maybe we should uh, proceed. So why don't we, um, that's verse Verse 6 and 7. So he went and came back seeing. That is the sign that Jesus did. Mm-hmm. Now let's read about the significance of this miracle, which I'm, I'm borrowing the word sign from John. He emphasizes over and over again. He calls them signs, not, not miracles, because they have significance. And he says in the end of the book, many things Jesus did that are, not, uh, are written in this book, um, but these signs are written so that you may believe in who Jesus is. And so the significance, the sign points to the significance. Mm. The sign is like a sign on the side of the road. It has a meaning and it leads you to somewhere, mm-hmm. but it's not the it's not the destination. Yeah, it's not the the end in and of itself. Right. Yeah. It shows yeah. you you're on the way, and the, and it points to something greater. So the miracles that Jesus did, they point to something greater, and the lessons that we can learn, we, we want to draw that out of the scripture. So yeah. now let's read the next section. If you're ready, I'm ready. Okay, you've been ready. I've been ready. Uh, Let's just read verse 8 through the end of the chapter. Sounds good. Okay. So, the significance. John chapter 9, verse 8. I'll start, and then Dan read every other verse. Yes. Okay. The neighbors and those who had seen him before he was, who had seen him before as a beggar, were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So, they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man be how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him, since he has opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight, until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight. And asked them, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind, but how he now sees we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, He is of age, ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that I was blind. Now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How 
did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes? We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that, and Jesus heard that they cast him out. And having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Mm. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees heard some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, We see, your guilt remains. That's the end of John chapter 9. And in the remaining time that we have, let's just draw out a few points from this text about the significance of this miracle. Obviously, it's not just a standalone miracle. It's not. It carries along some very important points about who Jesus is and what kind of life change he can bring into our lives and also about those who won't let him change their lives yes indeed so what are you, what stands out to you dan in this passage should we start near the top verse nine yeah the or, thing that's sorry or ver yeah it was verse verse eight yeah the thing that really stands out to me is from this passage is the answer the truth of what god had done should have been obvious and some of the people were wondering and marveling at it and some of the people were doing anything that they could to get away from the truth of what had happened. They're trying to deny it. So kind of two different groups of responses. Yeah, there are probably some people in the middle, but there's two groups mentioned here for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. The first response we see is those who were amazed. Isn't this the same man that used to sit and beg? Um, and then they talk a little bit about the man's identity. Is this mm-hmm. really the man that was blind? Is he not? Is it re- is it true? So just confirming the miracle. Is this yeah. is this really a miracle? And I don't think that's a bad thing if someone claims oh, no. to have uh, experienced a miracle to do a little skeptical questioning because we're you know as Christians we don't want to be gullible and just say oh wow when someone says oh the Lord healed me of X Y or Z we want to say oh well how did you know that you ha- did you get a yeah. doctor's diagnosis and now like you got another diagnosis that you're healed gullible Christians could there be such a thing mm. yeah. You know, there's uh, it, it strikes me that there's some people who are looking for anything possible to deny the truth. And then there are the other side, there are people that will grasp a hold of anything to support to support their worldview and to, to make themselves feel better. There's, there's kind of extremes on both sides. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the idea was it, they could have just found someone who sees and says, mm-hmm. this is that guy that yeah, is blind yeah. and the blind man is a, it's a mistaken identity. Yes, yes. But they they confirmed, and I think the miracles of the Bible did stand up to the scrutiny of the time. Yes, they do. And that refutes one of the accusations is, oh, well, Jesus can't, why did Jesus come at a time when everyone is so gullible, they would just believe any magic trick, and that's how he got his followers. Yeah, that's a good point. There were a lot of instances in the Bible where people were carefully checking out what they saw to make sure that they had actually, you know, understood it correctly. And one of the things we often talk about is the matter being established by two or three witnesses. Yes. So his parents are called. They said, yeah, this is the same man who was born blind. They would know and they would experience just as much pain as he would with that stigma of, well, maybe it was the parents' fault that he was born blind. Gee, what a shame. Your son's blind. You must have done something really (laughs) awful to deserve a disabled child. And for anyone out there with a disabled child, know that that is not the heart that the Lord has for the disabled or for their parents, for that matter. Absolutely. 
happened. I mean, imagine how painful that would be for a parent. Their whole life, this man had lived a long life. They may have felt some of that, that it was their fault somehow. Yeah. And in, in Jesus healing this man, not only was he doing a service to this man, but this is revealing the glory of God to the parents as well, mm-hmm. right? So it was what would have been seen by people at that time and probably by them as a as a curse could actually be seen as an incredible blessing from God. Mm-hmm. And in the end, as we're running out of time for today's show, in the end of this life, we're going to look back with a different perspective yes. than we experience through all the suffering that you go through. Hindsight's twenty twenty, mm-hmm. and when they look back on, the, oh, this is why the Lord allowed our son to be yes. born blind, so that people would come to know the Messiah as the one who is the light of the world, who reveals not only light, but truth, and is the giver of life. And so, you know, I may be reading into a little bit, I don't know what whether the parents ended up believers in Christ or not. They certainly probably didn't appreciate the pressure they were put under to testify for their son's healing, but this was a sign to them as well. Mm-hmm. And I, I imagine could bring some comfort to parents. So how shall we wrap up today's program? Uh, we, we, we only got through verse 10. Oh yeah, there's so much stuff there. Um, well, the big points, I think, are worth reviewing, that suffering is not necessarily caused by sin. It's not, not by a specific sin. Um, that suffering is not always a curse. Su- suffering is a sometimes a gift and a tool that God uses for our good to draw us closer to Him. So I would encourage you guys that whatever you go through, whatever struggles you go through, whatever difficulties God God puts into your life, puts into your path, rather than looking at it as a curse, look at it as a potential blessing, as something God is using to teach you, maybe to discipline you, but not necessarily. And look at what can I learn from this? How is why is God putting this into my life? And how can I use this? Rather than as a looking at as a discouragement, how can I use this to grow and to glorify God? And the final thing that I think stood out from John chapter 9 today was the identity of Jesus as the light of the world. So I want to ask you, listener, do you see that Jesus is the light of the world? Do you see his light? I don't mean physically, but is he opening your eyes? to the spiritual truths of your need for him? Or is there darkness or blindness between you and God? The barriers of sin, whether the original sin and curse of this fallen world, or your personal sin and lack of sensitivity toward your need for redemption and restoration, those barriers can be removed as God shines his light, as Jesus reveals the knowledge of the truth. Your eyes can be opened. And in the end of your life, will you see Jesus as your Savior or as your judge? Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But those who bow and repent and trust in Him while you have time on this earth will see Him as Savior welcoming you into heaven. That's what we want. But I can't open your eyes if you're blind. Jesus opened blind eyes, I pray in Jesus' name. May they be cut to the heart, realizing that they have tried to put out your light. And would you lead them in repentance to the knowledge of the truth? So that's it, folks. If you will repent and trust in Jesus, or turn and believe the gospel, so that you may follow Jesus as the light of the world, you will walk in his light. And just to reiterate what Jesus said in John 9, verse 3 through 5, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And so, Jesus died for our sins. He was buried. And three days later, he rose from the grave. 
and he appeared for 40 days to his disciples on many occasions, giving them infallible proofs that he is alive. He is the light of the world, and he proved it with his life. And when he ascended into heaven, he had given them instructions to be lights and salt in this world, light reflecting his light. He's like the sun, and we're like the moon, reflecting the light of God. So we, Christians, are now the light of the world that others may see. Repent, believe, and follow Jesus along with us. And so, be blessed. I hope that you enjoyed today's program. If you'd like to hear more, go to oacnorcal.org. That stands for Open Air Campaigners, Northern California. Or find all the ways you can listen to this podcast at Dwell on Truth in your favorite podcast players. So thanks for listening, guys. We hope that this was a blessing to you. And we hope we'll be able to cover a few more verses next time. But it's it's sometimes this stuff is there's so much depth in the Bible that it's 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 hard to just step away from it. And I hope you guys will join us not only in listening, but in reading the Bible for yourselves and 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 plumbing its depths and and you will see, I know by God's spirit, just how profound it is, how life changing it is. And how ultimately the one way you can have right relationship with God and an eternity in heaven is by knowing God, um, by trusting in Jesus, who he is and what he did, which of course is what we see in the Gospel of John. And we hope that one day um, we will see you in heaven. If you have any questions, go ahead and reach out to us questions at dwellontruth.org or oacnorcal at gmail.com. And we'd love to hear from you guys, and we will do our best to answer your questions. And I'm looking forward to outreach this weekend, and tomorrow I'm going out to one of our local universities, and Friday night to downtown Palo Alto, one of my favorite spots, and then we're going to be back in Monterey this weekend. I'm hoping that more churches you know, from your area and from my area will choose to come out and and partner with us for that kind of stuff. This is something that Brenton and I do, if there are any pastors out there listening Mm -hmm. in. (laughs) Um, We're not just about preaching the gospel ourselves, as important as that is, but part of our our calling as evangelists is to equip the body of Christ for works of service. So it's about talking to local churches and um, encouraging people to come out, um, preaching at local churches. I'm preaching at a church on Sunday and getting groups out, whether they're groups of adults or whether they're groups of teens or whatever. So so they get to go out and practice um, sharing the gospel. And let me tell you, it's, it's a whole lot easier to start evangelism talking to strangers, you know, make all your mistakes with people that you're never going to see again. So when you get those opportunities to talk people closer to you, um, you're better prepared. Yeah, exactly. For those of you wondering when we're going to be on the Flight 1080 show again, we've scheduled March 25th. Yeah. Yes, that is correct, and it is a Friday, and yeah, that's going to be neat. You'll have somebody else helping you out. Yeah, at this point, it looks like Pastor Tim Price will be joining us again. Awesome. So tune in on the 25th. And we hope that you will join us again next week as we dwell on truth. May God richly bless you as you continue to dwell on truth. Mm-hmm.